Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Joining us now, comedian Chelsea Peretti, NBA All-Star Roy Hibbert. Roy is our nation's most treasured actor. He's got chops, he's got talent, and he also has three tickets to Lakers. <laughs> With your host, Elliot Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, when players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. And it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. Well, well, look who's back. Fellas, Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com, Lang Whitaker, New York, Rick Fox, where Rick, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> listen, man. I, <laughs> listen, in, in all in all these episodes, it's the first time I've ever had to call in sick. I'm telling you, I was I was on I was on my last leg last week. It was a struggle. I appreciate y'all holding it down for me while I was out. Oh, you were you were gone last week? Yeah, don't even try. It. We didn't even notice. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I didn't notice either until I looked at uh, my bragging rights standings, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> how you guys doing though, man? I'm I'm feeling better. How you guys doing? I Happy New Year. Uh, we we got a few Ricks on the end of a world travel trip. Right. I'm on a world tour with my homeland. <laughs> I can't I can't seem to get home. I actually I just landed. If you heard the, the the big jumbo jet over my head in the car, but I'm now in LA. If you're looking for. <laughs> you know, you know when you, you know when you buy an app and it says, "We like, do you, will you uh, allow us to know your location?" <laughs> so I am now in LA. That's right. That's what's up. You uh, maybe year, though, maybe you bring the uh, the home team a little luck. Cause well, they good. they're out of town. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> good. They left. I was like, I was like, good. Now I can go home. It's been a struggle, uh, guys. What the New Year is kicked off. Obviously, um, you know things are are, are changing. I, I hate to start off the show with something nasty like this, but did you, did you guys see the video of KG and Carmelo getting into it Monday night after the Knicks Celtics game? I mean, what? Uh, what Look, uh, you're, you're talking to a guy who, who <laughs> when you say get into it after the game, you know, I I I I made the mistake of going a little further than that, but <laughs> you know, tra- trash talking. In my day, yeah. it was a little different. Was a little different, but yeah, you know, I'm curious to know what was said though, because the, the two respectable players that yeah. were very competitive, and and I would have never pinned if you asked me to pin who's going to get into it, uh, you know, this season, you know, verbally and maybe in the tunnel. I wouldn't have had those two on my list. Maybe KG, but not right. not Carmelo. Well, well, let me ask you, Rick. What's the worst thing that was ever said to you during a game that might have set you up? Like, what's the what was the what was the thing that somebody might have said that sent you over the edge? Oh, I, it it was very nonverbal, actually. <laughs> it didn't even it, nothing came out of his mouth, but but his fist hit my chin, and that that right there was was my version of tra- enough trash talk. And, right. You know, I went into the tunnel and fight and fight spilled out, and I wish there was security guards stopping me like they stopped Carmelo the other night. It would have never saved me a couple dollars. But isn't it usually like I mean, it, it, nothing ever happens. People just you know you complain and it's kind of like hey somebody's going to hold me back and then someone does hold you back and so nothing happens. The joke used to be hold me, <laughs> but yeah no you know a lot of guys a lot of guys are smart enough to know and obviously I had that chromosome missing. <laughs> you know you, you go too far it's going you're going to get suspended and it's going to hurt the team and it's going to cost money and. Uh, and it's actually going to be a blemish on your career. It, it just kills me to this day that, you know, we talked a lot of trash with the Sacramento Kings, uh, and rightfully so. We, we actually were the ones doing the winning, but they were, they're the ones doing all the talking. So occasionally we would get drawn into some trash talk with them too, you know, whether it's Shaq calling them, you know, the Sacramento Queens or, right. and, or Phil, you know, really chiding their, their, their community and their arena and, and with the cowbell talk. But, you know, nowadays, yeah, I'm sure guys still trash talk, but it's, it's rare that, that it escalates, or thankfully, it's rare that it escalates. And that's for the, that's for the better. Are you, are you allowed to trash talk if you're 
you know, if you're a team that's not a playoff team, or is it only? <laughs> can you only do it if you're good? Yeah, that's the case. It's the ones that aren't that good are the ones that seem to do most of the talking because they need to convince <laughs> themselves that they're not, a, you know, they're not as bad as they actually are. And and so anytime you see a team or an individual running their mouth, it's usually from a lack of confidence or insecurity, and they're trying to convince themselves. So when you get really, really good, you know, your trash talk at the top is you're really dismissive. You act like, you know, the other person or the other right. person on the court with you. So. So you tend to do less talk. I also think people who haven't played sports don't understand. I still remember like the first high school varsity game I played, and one of the guys from our team and one of the guys from the other team were just going back and forth the entire game, and I was surprised, and I was like, I thought like there was going to be a fight at the end of the game, and then when the game ended, they just shook hands like it was, you know, this is this is what happens every game. That was the first time. I still remember that, just thinking, wow, okay, so so you can just kind of say whatever you want, and then when the game's over, it goes away. You know, there's sort of like this Smitty. unwritten. Yeah, it's like an unwritten rule, right? Yeah, sort of. Smitty, Smitty was on that. We were on the air the other day, and Smitty gave a, told a good story about Jordan. He said, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he came to the center circle, and Mike Mike came over to him, and, and he said, uh, hey, uh, I saw you chasing chasing Reggie around last night. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he said. Mike said, 48. And he said he, he couldn't figure out what Mike meant by 48. And he said, the ball went up, and. Bulls got the tip and they went down the floor. Mike pulled up and hit hit a jump and he was like forty eight. So Smitty was like, why is, why you keep saying forty eight? Came back down the next floor, down the next trip down the floor, and he went to the basket and dunked. He said forty six. <laughs> he was counting backwards. <laughs> he was counting down. I'm gonna give you forty eight. He was right. counting backwards. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yep. I, I don't know that. I mean, I don't know that we've seen the the number of you know all out, you know, just fisticuffs that that some other sports have seen. But it's it just seems it's always kind of a shocker in the NBA when players really get into it, you know. And that's what made I think the the thing with KG and Carmelo, who are by all intents and purposes not necessarily two guys who are going to fight. I mean, I know they've had their share of dust ups, but not seriously fighting. Going to the bus after a dude, you know, to to hash it out. However, you know, whether you want intend to talk or whatever. That's that's a bit extreme. It's, it's... Say, what would what would what would get you to go to the bus? <laughs> I, I got four things that I don't, and I you know and I and I talk more trash than a little bit playing pickup ball because you know when you like you said when your skills aren't exactly there you got to resort to some other tools <laughs> to get you through and and Lang knows this he see me play it ain't pretty I do talk a little trash you can't talk about my mama God rest her soul you can't talk about my wife. Don't don't bag on my money, cause I ain't got enough, and don't say nothing about religion. If you stay away from them four topics on the basketball court, I'm good. What if somebody tebows on you? Well, that's another. That, <laughs> that's to be dealt with in, in Houston during All Star Weekend. We gotta tell Rick that. Story. And Jada Kiss, you know what you know what it is. I, you know. The short story, Rick, is, <laughs> is last year at the All Star Game in Orlando, we we. we we played in a pickup game. Seiko and I were there, and there's a bunch of people, and Jadakiss was there, and Jadakiss lit up Seiko and then oh, T-boat on him no. at, the, at the end of the game. Rick, that's the embellished version of what happened. Oh, you got you got to get a flagrant two for that one, man. You got to go to the flagrant two quick. <laughs> Jada, you lame? I, I thought I was I was laughing too hard. I couldn't stop. <laughs> you got to come to your boy's defense, man. Oh, he was over there clowning worse than anybody, Rick. That's that was hilarious. <laughs> It was hilarious. I got to find some new cats to run with me in, in Houston because they threw me under the bus. And not only that, they went, they, they, it went viral after that. I mean, they went on a world tour clowning me. Oh, I mean, well, thank you. Thank you. I just want to say I love you, man. We're, we're young in this new relationship, but I can't go in the stands anymore and in the tunnel <laughs> anymore, man. That's, 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 I, I'm not making the same kind of money as I did to, to, to be able to fit that bill. I hear you. You're not going. To, you're not going into the tunnel this time. I, I feel you. I, feel I, don't, you. Wanna, I don't want to start anything. Lang, what would take you in? What would take you into the to the bus, man? To the tunnel. Um, I, I'd say nothing. I'm, I'm, I mean, I've had that experience. I've seen what it is, you know. I know that you, you leave it on the court, and I know maybe some guys are better than others at at, at going, going maybe past where you should go. But to me, it's it's a game, right? I mean, okay, well, some... okay, okay. Well, what would make you break a pencil? <laughs> break a pencil. 
<laughs> um, I, I tell you, if, if you hit me and you, and you mess with my my media family, that's usually my tick tick boom right yeah, there. Yeah, it's certain stuff. Listen, it's certain trash that should not be talked on. You know, and and definitely you don't want to put your hands on nobody because you that's an invitation to get, to get into it. But but just that just the pickup games we played in in Orlando at All Star last year, you should have seen uh, Jada Kiss and who was his boy Lang? What's the guy's name? Which one? The, the DJ uh, who played. God, they got oh, Clue. Yeah, him DJ, DJ Clue. Clue. Rick, they got into it, and they and I, from what I can tell, they're friends. But like, oh, they, wow, yeah. they argue, they argue for like ten minutes straight. Well, you know? well, well that, that would that would bring me to to the Kobe Bryant, the Howard, <laughs> yeah. Uh, tweet yeah, and and physical uh, play. Kobe tweets, you know, at the Alabama Notre Dame game between the quarterback and the and the center. Yeah, but that yeah, was that good. type of altercation is what they need. Because you got to be able to get into it as teammates. Do you agree with that? I don't. I, I don't know that. I don't know that you necessarily have to come to the point where you're ready to throw blows in order for you to win. Yeah, but I don't. Know, I don't think each they other were, you want to win. And I, but, but they weren't at that point. Oh, they were. Listen, I know they this. Were, they were, there was no chance those two guys. They're roommates. There's no chance they were going to get in a fight on the field. No, big. I big, mean, punching. Big boy made sure they weren't going to get in a fight because he, yeah. he threw McCarron <laughs> like six yards off of him. Like, get up out of my face. <laughs> I thought that was good though. I thought the way they showed them, you know, the cameras followed them on the sidelines and they kind of, yeah. you know, made amends on. You know, and and the center was right. You know, he he. I heard him say it in the interview after the game. Like, you know, yeah, well, he got into it. We both think we know everything. You know, I was right, of course. But that's different than a real scrap. You know, what I think really struck me about the Lakers situation, and, and Kobe joked about it on Twitter. I think everybody saw the picture with he and Dwight kind of squaring up with, with Coach D'Antoni sitting on the bench with his, you know, with his hip propped up. The the Lakers know that that every rumor – and every crazy idea that's out there is going to be thrown at them right now while they, you know, while they're struggling. And you know, why not have a little fun with it in this day and age? You know, whether it's true or not. I, I was in the locker room on Christmas. I didn't see any signs of anybody having any real animosity, but it is a weird. It was a weird vibe in there, especially going in that locker room early in the day, Rick and Lang, and then going into the Clippers locker room later. Yeah. The Clippers, uh-huh. were, the the vibe in the Clippers was so it was like you know everybody laughing and relaxed and hanging out and you know no signs of tension. The Lakers had just beaten the Knicks, you know a big win on Christmas Day, the whole world watching, and man they were so uptight after the game you thought they lost by twenty. I thought that that from that picture that if you were looking for a bit of truth in that picture that they tweeted. It was that D'Antoni was the one getting treatment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, this is a team that's had so many injuries throughout the season that even the coach is getting treatment after practices and stuff. And Dwight's shoulder was all bandaged up. I mean, I, I think it's hard to ignore, even with all this stuff going on, that this is a team that's not healthy and it's not going to be healthy for a while. I mean, I, I thought you know last night Steve Nash got his ten thousandth assist. That was his tenth game this season that he's wow. played in. You know, it's a thousand assists a game, man. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that ten thousand assist club. By the way, let's listen to a little bit of Kobe Bryant talking about Nash after he he joined that ten thousand assist club. You feel bad for Steve Nash and tonight ten thousand assists and uh, ten thousand assists, and you know, not really a night to celebrate it, unfortunately. Yeah, but you know, you you also have a chance, to kind of, you should um, kind of step back and look at the big picture of his career and what he's done. I mean, it's yeah, what is that? Five players have done that. Mm-hmm. That's that's amazing. I mean, they come from where he's come from, and um, to be able to accomplish that, I mean, you can't lose sight of uh, of what that number means. I mean, and that is, I mean, five guys in the history of the league to reach ten thousand assists. Man, that's, that's insanity. Um, you know, and and Nash's career, when you think about where it started, Rick. And and Lang, you know, this was a guy who was fighting to get off the bench, you know, early in his yep. career behind mm-hmm. two pretty pretty good point guards, obviously, and um, Jason Kidd and, and Kevin Johnson. But a two-time MVP, the 10,000 assist club. I think there was a time maybe six years ago, seven years ago, where where the, the conversation about Wells Nash, a Hall of Famer, that I, it, would, it would seem to me now he's pretty much a, a lock, isn't he, to be in the Hall of Fame oh. someday? Yeah. Almost definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. 
And, uh, and I don't think he's done. I mean, there's a couple guys short on that list, right? You know, he's coming up on, you know, we'll put him in third place. Yeah. So, you know, that he's definitely got, you know, a couple more years left in him, and he'll go down as uh, one of the greatest point guards to play the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I was on the bus in Germany back in the day when playing for the Canadian national team with Steve Nash as a kid. And I remember mm-hmm. playing one-on-one in the practice with him. He was still in college. Uh-huh. And it was at that point, and trust me, now I didn't see any two-time MVP and, and uh, 10,000 assists right. marking his career at that point, but I knew he was going to get drafted. Right. He right. just had a command and a handle of the ball. and the Because I, mean, I, I was a defensive player, and we squared off and played a one-on-one game. And this kid showed me at that point that he, he had a pro game. Yeah. Mm. Speaking yeah. of point guards, Lang, um, well, I was going to wait. Let me say one thing before we move on here is that, uh, you know, the the – it's funny to see Nash and to think about all he's gone through and, you know, how long he's played and all this stuff and to have that many assists now, you know, to just go over 10,000 and to think he still has about what, less than two thirds of, of what John Stockton retired with. <laughs> I mean, John Stockton had almost 16,000 assists, uh, you know, which is, it's just, it's just incredible to think of how many he racked up that many assists and played for that long. It kind of puts to me it puts a little bit John Stockton's career into perspective and a guy we don't really think that much about. Um, you know, just seeing Nash's number last night, I was like, wow, yeah. that's that's incredible. I think it speaks to the continuity too that Stockton played with. Yeah, you know, in terms of that situation in Utah and with Carl Malone and and Jerry Sloan's system all those years. I mean, it, it, sometimes. The stars line up for a great player to really, you know, distance mm-hmm. himself from from the other great players in in a certain category, which I think is pretty impressive. And Nash, Nash kind of, I mean, he had Dirk for a minute, but outside yeah. of Dirk, he really didn't have a Carl Malone, right? right. You right. know, so he he made a lot of other other players better. Speaking of, and like I was saying, like speaking of point guards, um, another point guard who's kind of been under under fire here the last few weeks is. Got his team actually playing well now. What do you, what do y'all think of PJ Carlissimo in, in the Nets, and maybe him being the long term solution as a head coach there? Now that, now that we get word that Phil Jackson says he's never, he has no intention of ever coaching again. Which I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm riding with that. Wow, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, he he he, uh, he told it to Sheridan Hoops uh, yesterday. Well, he got it. He got engaged, so that might have been the key. <laughs> he said, well, his, his quote was, I have no intention of ever yeah, coaching. Yeah, I mean, he didn't shut the door on it, but he's hurt. Which just it. means, like, he doesn't want to get a job today. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, 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 I still wouldn't be surprised if, if, he, if he, you know, if we see him again yeah. one day. Well, what do you think of the Nets? So, I mean, do you think P.J. Carlissimo could handle that thing going, you know, throughout the rest of this season maybe? I mean, what is he six and one now? Yeah, but I mean, don't get too excited. You know, we've gotten real excited before about somebody in the first. That was a real and... soft. That's a real soft seven games, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like they've. Uh... It's not like Bernie Bickerstaff did with the. It's Lakers. not like Bickerstaff's undefeated run with the Lakers. My man, Bernie. Well, he was four and one. <laughs> oh, that's right. He was four and one. Yeah. That's why he didn't get the job. We're spending a year for interim coaches, I guess. Um, if you're going to be an interim coach, you might as well do it. <laughs> well, I, I guess maybe this speaks to, you know, the Nets, when they when they fired Avery, they said that they felt like this was a team that needed a new voice, that, you know, the yeah. talent was there, but they needed a new voice. And maybe maybe that's what it was. Maybe they just needed someone else in there. Uh, I, I do think getting Brooke Lopez healthy has made a big difference for that team and having him back. And Marshawn Brooks is playing really well of late, too. You know, he struggled beginning of the season, and, I think he's kind of found his groove a little bit more than he had. And so they're, and Darren obviously is playing better. So yeah. I, there's a lot of different things there. It's not just a voice, I think. They're, they're, the team's actually playing better. Well, and don't you always need some tweaks, I guess? If you're going to yeah. fire a coach, you got to make some subtle adjustments. I mean, Marshawn Brooks, he was, I don't even remember being consistently in the rotation yeah. early in the season. Now, you know, I mean, you have to make those subtle, you know, tweaks to the system. Another team we you know we mentioned Garnett, but that you know the Celtics all of a sudden seem like they're playing with a little different you know energy boost. Um, Return and, of Avery Bradley doesn't hurt. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You get Avery Bradley back, and and I'm not sitting here telling you Avery Bradley's like the championship link for anybody, 
but he's certainly a significant player. I think, he, well, I think he was last him. year. Yeah, I mean, I think he was last year. I think he made the difference last year. And you think when so? He went down. Yeah. When he went down. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, I know it's weird to say about a guy who's really just coming into his own in the league. But did, Rick, do you think one guy, even if he's not, you know, one of your core guys or, or one of your main scores, and that's what can one guy who plays a position where he doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time, can he make that much a difference? Totally. Really? Uh, to- take, take Ben Wallace off the Detroit Pistons. Yeah. You know, what, what, are, what are they at that point? Uh, you know, you can, you can look at uh, across, the, I think, the history and you know, the game, you can find individuals who, who may not be a star, who may not be anchoring statistically the, you know, in the scoring department or, and find that their presence defensively or their glue, their ability to do little things. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Bowen on the San Antonio Spurs and their runs. You go, okay, you take these guys off when they're shutting down scores or, or making the extra pass or making a play here and there. You take them out of the equation, you know, there's a hole in those those teams, and they don't go as far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, Ben Wallace and the Pistons, Absolutely. by five. Bounce pass over to Isaiah. Comes in deep. His second shot of the game. Isaiah dribbles in deep. Draws the crowd. Throws the ball away. It bounces back to Isaiah. By Isaiah. Isaiah's at the other end. The length of court pass is good. Isaiah dribbles in deep. Draws the crowd. Throws the ball away. It bounces back to Isaiah who scores. Isaiah. Congratulations. Our next guest should have been our first guest. Isaiah Thomas of Bad Boy Pistons fame, uh, Indiana University National Championship fame, front office fame, all the whole thing. How you doing, man? I am doing great. How you doing? We're good. We're good. We are we are bringing in the new year, uh, trying to wipe away the, the, the past and look forward here. What what does the league look like to you when you when you, you know, stand up and look at it this morning? You look around the league and go, okay, the Lakers are upside down, you know. Spurs are here, this, that, and the other. I mean, how does the league look to you as a, not only as a former player, obviously, but as an analyst and somebody who's uh, a student of the game and the history of the game? Well, you know, th- those are those are those are big questions. Um, you know, there there are definitely some some philosophical um, things that are taking place when you look at the Laker organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, philosophically in terms of their tradition and what they've been built on, they've always been built on, uh, you know, centers, even though they've had, you know, great guards and great wingmen to come through there, you know, i.e. Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, Terry West, uh, they have always, um, you know, anchored themselves in the middle, you know, from from Mikan to Chamberlain to, you know, Alcindor, Jabbar, mm-hmm. uh, to Shaq, you know, though that's, you know, that's what the Lakers win with, and that's how they've you know they've they've won uh, traditionally, uh, so the big man has always been uh, the focal point of their offense, of their existence, of their winning. Uh, now uh, they they have a coach who doesn't necessarily believe in center play. Uh, his whole philosophy goes against uh, you know center you know basketball. It's almost centerless basketball. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'd be interesting to see where you know the the Laker organization goes uh, philosophically over the next uh, ten years. Uh, will it be um, a guard-driven organization? Uh, will it be a wing-driven organization? Or will they stay true to their traditional values in terms of the big men? Isaiah, this is Lang Whitaker. As someone who uh, was here in the when you were running the Knicks and, and was in the middle of the media capital of the world, it seems like in LA right now, the Lakers are, you know, there's so much stuff going on around the team. It's not really about basketball right now. And I was just wondering as someone who kind of lived through that with the Knicks, what is that like for, for a coach or for a, for management with the team? And, and how do you get the guys to focus on the basketball? Well, that that's, that that comes with the territory. Whether you in um, you know in college or whether you um, you know in the NBA, uh, every every team um, you know with with the uh, with with technology being the way it is right now and news information being the way it is right now, um, you know that's that's part of the, the the fight that every team has and. Um, 
you know, it's it, it just comes with the territory. So you, you know, the players are used to it, the coaches are used to it, um, and everyone uh, understands that you know this is just part of the business that we're that we're in nowadays. Hey Zeke, we got we got a chance to spend the the night night on NBA TV a week ago watching uh, the twelve games and. And uh, at that point, we saw the Clippers, a little bit of the Clippers and the Lakers. And it, it's got to be strange, I'm sure, for everyone to see the flip of how the Clippers are now dominating uh, L.A. And, and actually now with the best record in the league, dominating the league. So uh, do, when you look at them, though, do you see a team that is championship caliber? I, I see a team that's on a championship journey. Uh, I don't necessarily know if if they understand the journey that they're on. Um, clearly, at the start of the season, it wasn't a journey that any of them had planned for to be on. I don't think there's a a person that uh, plays for them or a person in their organization that thought that uh, they would win the championship this year. And Rick, you you understand, uh, you know, when you're on the championship journey. Uh, you know, there has been traditionally, you know, well thought out and planned, um, you know, uh, uh, organizational structure, player structure that that goes into winning a championship. You just don't uh, jump up and, and luck into it. And where I see the Clippers are at now, uh, even though they've had a, a lot of losing in their history, uh, right now, the journey that they're on definitely is a championship journey, but do they have the experience, uh, the know-how uh, to avoid all the pitfalls and the traps that comes along on this journey? Uh, part of being on this journey, as a, uh, I guess, as a newbie, would be uh, you know you there's a lot of um, there's a lot of strength and courage in being naive. Uh, and if you know, right now it's a it's a very naive, innocent journey for them, and they haven't hit the hurdles and the obstacles that they're going to hit uh, in February and March, and we'll see how they respond to them. Hey, Seku, before you jump back in, Isaiah, yeah. I uh, I spoke to Jamal Crawford yesterday, and and he was telling me uh, about playing with Chris Paul, and he said about three or four times that Chris Paul is this generation's Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> he said it over and over. I was just wondering, what's your take on, on Chris Paul? Well, I, I have a great respect for him. And, uh, you know, he's, again, this is the this is um, a journey that he's on. I think he, he understands the position uh, just about as well as anybody playing today. Uh, he makes the game easier for everyone. But he also has leadership skills. And, you know, he's a person that, uh, if he wasn't playing basketball, you can very easily see him uh, being the class president or also, you know, running for Congress, being the state representative. So, mm-hmm. you know, when he combined those things with the talent and the skill that he has on the floor uh, and inside the locker room, you know, it makes him a powerful presence and a powerful force. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Isaiah, um, you know, when you look back over the course of your career, date, dating all the way back to, to high school and even when you, you know, first went into college. What's changed more to you, the the mechanics of the game or everything off the court surrounding? I mean, every you know, we got Twitter and all this stuff nowadays, which is a totally different animal than, than what you guys had to deal with, you know, in your playing days. But has the game itself, just the mechanics of basketball, how it's taught, what's taught, the style of play in the NBA, has that changed more? Maybe to players, you know, more so than observers or onlookers, people who are not playing. Because I'm, I'm curious. People always talk about this is not, the, you know, the old NBA. This guy wouldn't have survived in a different era. And I'm wondering how much the game has changed in that span of time. Uh, well, it, it's tra- it's changed uh, dramatically, um, and I, I would say one of the biggest changes that I've I've seen uh, thus far is that, um, you know. Uh, um, you know, data has become the the, the new god uh, in terms of uh, sport in play. Uh, it used to be, um, you know, uh, uh, you were you never played for the stat sheet. You never played according to data. 
but now uh, players have learned to manipulate the data and manipulate the stat sheet. And a good majority of the players play to the stat sheet and the data, and they stay safe. Uh, a great majority of the coaches and managers um, uh, live by the data. And, you know, we, we were taught in our generation that uh, the data can be manipulated. Uh, the data is biased. And, you know, most of the time it, it is flawed to a certain extent. Um, but now I, I think the way you, you, you look at the game now, uh, you look at it and talk about it and analyze it more statistically uh, than, you, than we've ever had. And uh, knowing that, you know, some of the stats and some of the data uh, and some of the research that goes into it, you know, it's just basically flawed. Uh, and, but yet we still live by, uh, you know, what comes from the data. And that's, that's a, you know, and from a coaching standpoint, the coaches that uh, I was taught by and all my coaches are in the Hall of Fame. Dean uh, Fingator, Coach Knight, uh, Chuck Daly, and my first basketball mentor uh, was John McClendon. And John McClendon uh, was a former student of Naismith. And uh, they taught the, the spirituality of the game, the fundamentals of the game. And they really taught you how to score in the game. Uh, you know, I, I see a big, you know, we talk defense a lot. But those great coaches, um, you know, they they really understood how to score. They really understood how to uh, teach you how to score. And I, I see a lot of that missing from the game today. I don't really imagine Bob Knight, you know, going through offensive rebounding rates and all the <laughs> <laughs> all the stats and stuff that we see today. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. You know, they they taught the game, um, you know, from the neck up. Um, they sure. they really focused more on your your mind than they ever did uh, your body, and um, you know I, I I don't I don't recall Coach Knight you know uh, ever pulling out uh, you know the the, um, the 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 stat sheets or the right. or the boards and you know drawing up plays and all that other stuff you know it it was it was really about you know, understanding the game, and they taught a level of understanding of the game that, you know, you, you get through, you know, rigorous, rigorous training and, um, you know, a lot of film and a lot of work. And there's, there's um, you know, that, that art is, is lost today in terms of how the game is being taught and who's teaching it. Hey, hey Zeke, uh, look, looking at some of the younger generation and the players that even some of the guys that you drafted like I've been following a David Lee and, and the Golden State Warriors would you look at that team and what Mark Jackson has done and 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 share an excitement level for the future of the league yeah I, I look at you know I, I look at Mark Jackson in in that Golden State team and you know we just talked about you know old school and Mark Jackson is definitely an old school coach uh and he you know he's very spiritual in the way that he lives and also, in, in the way that that team is playing, uh, he totally goes against the grain. Um, I don't know how many coaches would have put the ball in, um, in Curry's hand and told him to be a point guard. But when you look at Mark Jackson's career, um, you know, he got by in, in the NBA strictly on intelligence uh, because he was probably the most unathletic guard to ever play the position and have the type of success that he's had. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you look at the list of the 10,000, uh, the 10,000 assist club, you know, he is in that, he is in that club. But when you look at his uh, athleticism and, and skill level compared to the others, uh, you know, there's no comparison. You know, all of them ran faster than he did, jumped higher than he did, but, you know, very few of them are on that list that are as smart as he was. So, you know, I see a lot of that intelligence uh, being transmitted into the younger players on that Golden State team. And while they're a younger team, uh, they play a very intelligent old-school game. You know, Ricky, you and I was talking about a play that he designed at the end of the game. 
where even though he has a lot of one-on-one players and people that can get their own shot, he still ran continuity, and, you know, they they found a way to get a shot at the end of the game off a, a broken play or off a play that, um, you know, where they had to read and react to it. So he's he's teaching, you know, great old-school stuff, and I think, you know, that's why his team right now is winning. Yeah. Isaiah, so many people, and, and Lang brought it up earlier, you know, Chris Paul being the young Isaiah. I'm I'm personally not a big fan of those era-to-era comparisons. But when you look at the, the fabric of NBA players today, where do you think they rate in terms of from this era to, to the era you played in to maybe the era before you got in the league? Can you take an entire you know bunch of players and say, okay, this group of guys would have been good in this area, or is it really an, a player by player basis where you look at a guy and go, his skills translate to whatever generation he might have played? You know, Wilt Wilt would have been Wilt in any generation. Shaq would have been a dominant force in any generation. Kobe, you know, some of these players. How do you how do you gauge those guys and how their games would have translated to to the different eras that we've seen? Well, it's, that's a tough question to answer because it, it's, it's great for debate. It's great for opinion. And this is where, you know, data and error, I mean, data and generation and everything else, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is kind of flawed because, you know, we can't have this discussion without saying, uh, without asking, okay, what's the criteria mm-hmm. that, you know, we're judging us? Uh, and, you know, in our era, the rules were different. Yeah. Uh, so if you're saying, uh, can, can some of these players or some of the players from our era play in this era? Uh, yes. And also no, uh, a lot of great centers in, in my era, uh, Robert Parrish was a great center. Mm-hmm. I don't know if with these rule changes, if a center like Robert Parrish could even play in the NBA. Yeah. Um, you know, so not to not to dis, disparage or anything, but you know, it all depends on the criteria that that we're basing on and that we're judging around. So when we look at statistical data and analysis and everything else, um, you know, people are playing now till the age of forty. You know, when I was, you know, I retired at you know thirty-two. So right. you know, it's like you, you know, do you take the numbers and how, how do you look at the numbers? How do you look at all of this? So. Um, I do think that, you know, depending on the rules, uh, there are some people uh, from my generation that would have great success uh, with these rule changes. But there are some people in my generation that would be hurt by these rule changes Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Well, I I know we've talked about a lot of different teams and a lot of eras and players, but we haven't talked about Miami, and I'm wondering if, you know, talking about these other teams today and the way they're playing, are we, are we just kind of chasing our tail around because this is going to be Miami's title to win? Or, or is there, are there other teams that you think this season Isaiah have a legitimate chance of challenging Miami for a championship? Oh, without, without a doubt. And, and I think uh, to Seiko's point, I think, you know, his, one of his first questions, we were talking about, you know, philosophical and, and, and traditional, you know, mm-hmm. style of play. And my, Miami is the only team uh, that I can remember that has ever won a championship with small ball in the NBA. Uh, it is normally a, a league that has been dominated uh, by the bigs, and the bigs have won. And when you look at the, the challengers for the championship this year, uh, New York is a is a pretty traditional team. They they're, you know, they have centers, forwards, um, small forwards, guards, point guards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at Oklahoma, uh, you know, they have centers, forwards, guards, small forwards, you know, point guards. Um, you know, we're looking at the Clippers. They're, they're definitely a traditional, you know, team. Um, you know, the only team that's really trying to win the championship playing small ball right now and, and that we're really talking about winning the championship is Miami. And Miami did it last year in the shortened season, and they didn't have to face the, you know, the rigors of a of 82 game playoff bump and grind. And you need the bigs tradition. The traditional way of thinking in this league is you need the bigs to bump and grind to get you through the regular season. Mm-hmm. And if 
if they can get through the regular season marathon, uh, you know, relatively healthy, um, you know, then, you know, you know, different, different speeds and, you know, different players can, uh, can up their game in the playoffs. But, you know, this is the first time that I've seen a small team trying to get through, um, a, a league that has been traditionally driven by the bigs for 82 games, then playoff, then championship, and, and we'll see if they have the, the stamina to do it. Well, well Zeke, yeah, with uh, with the Knicks having a resurgence here in terms of the Eastern Conference uh, matchup, do you see uh, you see a, a, a Heat Heat Knicks matchup in the in the Eastern Conference Finals? Well, I mean, right now, um, you know. Given the way it looks, I mean, those are the two best teams in the East right now, and I don't see them slipping. However, I do see a dark horse in the East, and that's the Chicago Bulls. Mm-hmm. And if Derrick Rose comes back and he ha- and he is uh, anywhere close to where he was when he left, you know, then all bets are off. Everything changes because defensively, you know, Chicago is the best defensive team uh, that I've seen uh, from a commitment standpoint that that gives you that, you know, uh, type of style, system, and structure night in and night out. Uh, they bring the defense every single night. Now, teams may have success against them, you know, on, on any given night, but, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, they're entrenched on the defensive side of the ball. And with Rose being out, uh, you know, they, they got Robinson and, and Heinrich and, uh, those guys have gotten a uh, considerable amount of, of playing time uh, in the backcourt, and they've played through some mistakes. They're winning now. And uh, if Rose comes back, now they have, you know, three guards that can get in the lane, that can play a uh, pick and roll, uh, that can shoot from the perimeter, and they all can get to the foul line. Uh, so in, in, in the playoffs, uh, those three can, can be very tough uh, to guard because all of them can get their own shots. And, you know, you know, in the back line, they, they do a good enough job defending Pinker Roll and rebounding the basketball that, you know, they're, they're geared for playoff basketball. So I, you know, that would be my dark horse in the East. But right now, I look at New York and Miami as the two favorites. Isaiah Thomas joining us here on the Hang Time Podcast. We're going to get in trouble, Isaiah, by the way. We we do this for two hours. You look up and everybody be in trouble. Everybody's My boss will be looking for me. Somebody's wife will be looking for him. And... <laughs> but I love talking basketball. I know. So you know that. <laughs> I know, man. It's always good to talk hoops with you, too. And I'm I'm so glad you, you're rocking with us now on NBA TV because that will give us more chances to, to get up with you. And really – we touched on a lot of different things, but I got some basketball history stuff that we're going to ask you about the next time we have you on the show because I, I watched that uh, Ben Wilson documentary about, uh, you know, his his short-lived, you know, life. And, and it was tough watching it, and then I started thinking about the history of basketball in certain cities, you know, and, and things that impact the younger players and you got a whole generation of kids who grew up in in the midwest and all over the country really who modeled their games if you're six feet or shorter you wanted to be isaiah thomas you know what i'm saying and i'm always wonder what that's like knowing that you're the, the kind of the, the patriot saint of a a whole generation of kids um and that stuff like i said we want to get in into with you on the next time we have you on the hang time podcast i, so I got wait, I, have, I have one more question before we let yeah, him go yeah. is isaiah taught you talked about guys from from your era you know like robert Parrish, how they would play in today's nba with the rules the way they are how do you think you would play in today's nba with the rules the way they are uh (laughs) be honest uh (laughs) we would win a lot (laughs) (laughs) we we would win a lot. Very dip- I'll leave it at that. Very <laughs> diplomatic answer right there. Isaiah Thomas joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. Again, we are going to talk to you soon, man. We'll see you in Houston for sure and see you on NBA TV. Okay, and thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Isaiah Thomas, guys, joining us on the Hang Time Podcast. That's a that's that's a half century of basketball knowledge right there, guys. Um, joining us on the show. And I, 
I think people forget sometimes, you know, you, you look at former players, Lang, Rick, and, and you assume that they're the personality that they were on the court. And having covered Isaiah, having, you know, having dealt with him in an intimate setting, you know, when he was the coach in Indiana and I was there working for the Indianapolis Star, you come to appreciate a guy's knowledge of the game and his understanding of the game a lot more. I'm telling you, this, he's one of the sharpest guys I've ever talked to about basketball. I'm ready to listen to to him talk more about basketball, and we can stop here and you talk about when you covered him all the time. Oh, shut up! <laughs> yeah, no, I got, I got, I agree. I got a chance to actually work with him on on uh, the other night on Saturday last week, and wow, in between commercials and and stop time, you know, we just we talked basketball the whole night, and yeah. I was I was just getting history lesson. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. <laughs> Nothing like the Keystone Cops making your picks when you're out. Look at this. Seriously, how do I go two and one the week I'm out under the under the mattress trying to you know trying to stay alive, and you jokers go one and two each? I got to. Uh, I've got to rebandage my foot because I shot myself in the yeah. foot last week when Rick and I picked for you. <laughs> Which is showing you, Seku, the potential we have. Yeah. <laughs> we could do this every week if we wanted, but, you know, once again, you see we're 15 and 13, we're just hanging out at the, at the party, and, and when it's time to, you know, when it's time to move past, you know, we'll be, we'll be. We'll right, be right. I'm sure, I'm sure that's what they tell everybody in L.A. this time of year. I'm just you know. pacing, I'm pacing myself. <laughs> well, Greg, look. Seriously, I don't even know what the games were last week. I was hallucinating. I, you know, where where are we at this week? What what are our picks? And 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 I think uh, to the victors go to spoil. So that way, I'll I'll let these other jokers pick first and and pick after them. All right. So Lang Lang's going to have first pick this week. Let's go with the Sixers hosting the Rockets this coming Saturday. Hmm. The Rockets are playing pretty well. It's put yes. up 125 on the Lakers balling. last night. They're balling. Uh, uh, I'll say um, I will go with the uh, Sixers as the home team. Wow! Wow! Um, I am going to I'm going to say that there's that's too much offense, even for the Sixers to defend over. Uh, and I don't know. It's on the road, right? You said yeah. yeah. I'll tell you this, Rick. I just looked it up. The the Rockets play – the Sixers have two days off before the game. The Rockets wow. play at Boston on Friday night and then at Philly on Saturday night. I think they're going to be in rhythm. It's a back-to-back. They're young enough. They're a young team. I'm going with the, the Rockets. Yeah, I'm, I'm going with Houston, although I think my boy Drew Holiday is getting ready to go at Jeremy Lin um, in that point guard matchup, I think. I think the Rockets got too much firepower. I'm going Rockets. Nice. Okay, second game of the week will be Indiana at Brooklyn Sunday night. Mm. Sunday night. You need to be at that game, right? I think I might have baby duty that night. Or <laughs> 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 uh, well, who? I, someone else pick first. Uh, All right, I'll go, I'll go since it's my turn. Um, I like the way Indiana's playing. Uh, they got the size to match up for Brooklyn. I think – Brooklyn has had some soft wins here in the last seven games. Even though they're playing well, I think Paul George can can put some defense on Joe Johnson. Uh, I'm going Indiana. Um, I'll go with Brooklyn. I agree with everything you said, though. I think Indiana looks really good. Paul George is going off lately. Um, 22 in the second half, uh, and that went over the heat, right? Yeah, um, but I'll go with Brooklyn just just to be different. <laughs> just to be that was uh, awesome. Contrarian. I I like Brooklyn. I actually like the Nets at home um, with a chance to make a statement. You know, under PJ, they, like you said, they haven't had a lot of quality wins under PJ Colasimo. This is a chance for them to really make a statement Sunday night. I'm going with the Nets. All right, and the final game of the week will be the Clippers at Memphis Woo! on Monday night. At Memphis, no Monday night football. We get a, we get a, we get a, we get a Monday night bash anyway. I love it. 
Will Rudy Gay be on the Grizzlies by then? That's a good yeah, question. Yeah, that's, that's I can't, a good question. I don't, I don't like it, by the way. I don't like this idea of them getting rid of him either. But anyway, um, I'll go first on this one. And Lord knows I hate to pick against my Grizzlies. Um, but I, th- I think the Clippers win this game. I think the Clips go in there and, uh, and impose their will and CP3 balls out and the Clips win. I'll take um... – I think the Clippers also. Uh, that's such a good matchup between those two teams, you know, after the last couple of seasons, and they obviously don't like each other, um, which is fun to watch. But I, I think the Clippers right now are just too tough. So I'll, I'll stick with it. I'll take L.A. Well, um, I'd like to stay on course and make it three for three, but I don't get. I don't think I get anywhere ahead if I do that. Um Jamal Crawford, I don't know if he's still going to be out. They've, Chris Paul has played big minutes and put up big big offensive numbers with his absence. I got to think Memphis, as poorly as they've uh, been in the scoring department lately, struggling to score. Oh, oh man, I, I got to go to Clippers, too. I, I want to go to Memphis. <laughs> the, the Clippers are just going to put up numbers, and Memphis can't score right now. They're struggling. Yeah. I like, I, I, like behind. I love it. He tried to talk himself into it, but he couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't. Hey, by the way, before we get out of here this week, guys, I, I'm assuming y'all have seen these uh, the tweets out there about the King, Sacramento Kings moving to Seattle. Uh, really? Being bought, yeah, being bought by a group in Seattle, and I mean this is this is for real. This is I know it's been talked about a million times, you know, since Seattle lost the Sonics, but. Uh, you know, if the Kings ownership group is now coming to an agreement to move the team to Seattle, in addition, no, I'm saying in addition to uh, you know some fans in Seattle are going to be very happy to to have NBA basketball back in their town. I know a lot of NBA writers who are going to be very pleased <laughs> to be making that trip back to Seattle on those West Coast swings. It's, that's going to be interesting. We'll definitely have to get into that next week on the Hangtime Podcast if this thing goes down as uh, as it looks like it might. Wow. Yeah. Um, anyway, listen, good to be back. Glad to see 2013. Um, and very appreciative of our guest this week, Isaiah Thomas, joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Um, for anybody who's wondering, the bragging rights numbers, just so you know, you know, I don't want to steal Greg's thunder here, but I am 18 and 10. And these other two guys are 15 and 13, dragging up the rear. Uh, uh, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, yeah, guys. Think, we should have added that. That's the most trash talk anyone has had <laughs> for career from Say Who. From me. I got to listen to Say Who talk trash. <laughs> I got to win something. <laughs> Rick, you know? I finally found the trash talk that will push me over the edge. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, been living with, I've been living with being Tebow for almost a year now. i gotta get, I got to get Rev back up, you know, before All-Star Weekend. <laughs> but, look, guys, be safe this next week, and I will uh, talk to you again next week right here on the Hangtime Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, Sekunamata.